Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Recall the Midwife podcast. Welcome back. We are three superfans and each week we watch an episode of Call the Midwife and talk about it. I'm Becky. I'm Alex. I'm Jen. A reminder that this week's episode deals with death and dying, severe illness, severe poverty and racism. So if those topics are ones you would prefer to skip this time, we understand and hope you join us for the next one. In this week's episode, it is Christmas in Poplar. Everyone is celebrating together when a call comes from the mother house. Hope Clinic in South Africa, a missionary hospital run by the order, is in dire straits. The managing head nun has passed and a support trip and inquiry and review of its ability to keep open and running must be made. A team is put together to go. Sister Julianne, Sister Winifred, Trixie, Barbara, Phyllis, Sheila, Patrick, and Fred. Once at Hope Clinic, they realize the operation is in dire straits. Dr. Myra, the head and only physician, is severely limited in resources in every capacity. Medications of all types are rationed and a water shortage threatens to shut down the clinic as basic hygiene won't be possible without it. Tom and Fred set to the water problem and Tom finds its access to a spring via a route through Mr. Stark's property the main issue. Dr. Myra tells Sister Julianne that she took care of Mrs. Stark during childbirth many years ago and after the mother and baby both died of health issues unrelated to the birth, she was blamed for their loss. Mr. Stark has held a grudge ever since. Sister Julianne visits him to make a plea for a change of heart, but leaves thinking she has been unsuccessful. Meanwhile, Dr. Turner and Sheila are running a polio vaccination clinic, and Trixie, Barbara, and Phyllis are caring for expectant mothers seeking care from the clinic. Phyllis delivers Fazika's baby under a tree with Fred's help. Barbara and Trixie have to tell Rosa that she has been experiencing pseudocystesis, or a false pregnancy. When Constance goes into labor, the birth turns dangerous, and the only option is an emergency cesarean section 
which Trixie must perform. Dr. Turner and Sheila have taken Dr. Meyer in town to seek treatment for a liver abscess and won't be back until the next day at least. Constance and the baby survive, and when Sister Julianne is bathing the little one for the first time with a barely dampened cotton balls, Mr. Stark arrives to speak with her. He immediately sees the dire need for water, and he grants access to his land so the clinic can get the water they need. Last, the trip has also resulted in a big change for Barbara and Tom as well. Tom proposes to Barbara, and she says yes! Such good news, such good news. Okay, girls, so we had discussed this. I just want to do for our audience a little quick explainer about some of the context for this episode, because the whole cast, um, the whole you know, team has obviously flown to South Africa and they are in, there in 1962. So there's a couple of cultural and political and social things I think we just need to cover. So they never use the word in the episode, but there's kind of illusion or implication of apartheid, which is happening in South Africa at times. So apartheid is the South African or Afrikaans word for separateness or apart aparthood. And it was a system of institutionalized racial segregation that existed in South Africa and Southwest Africa. Now, Namibia from 1948 to the early 1990s. I'm going to paraphrase, but I'm going to kind of read from the research that I got off Wikipedia about this. So it is a authoritarian political culture based on bossship, which is kind of a slang term, which ensured that South Africa was dominated politically, socially, and economically through a minority rule by the nation's dominant minority white population. It was a system of social stratification. White citizens had the highest status and then followed by all the other people of color from other than them in the in the culture, in the nation. Economic legacy and social effects of apartheid are still present to this day. So there are two parts of this. It was delineated into something called petty apartheid and grand apartheid. Petty apartheid, apartheid means a segregation of public facilities and social events, and grand apartheid, which dictated housing and employment opportunities by race. They also had a lot of segregation against intermarriage relationships, Population Re- Registration Act, which I think Rosa talks about, you know, having to go into town to work because she's a secretary and having to have a pass to go into town to get a job to come home from town so those are all ways of like social control so really really terrible thing that uh, went on for a very long time unfortunately it was only in the early 1990s that the African National Congress was the leading anti-apartheid political movement we all know about Nelson Mandela he was a huge figure there he was a big leader on that effort and apartheid legislation was repealed on the 17th of June in 1991 and then they had their first multiracial elections in 1994. So that's kind of the place that we're in right now in South Africa. I will say for our American listeners who know some of our civil rights history, this to me when I was researching it sounded very much like the Jim Crow South where there was a lot of segregation and separation and laws that were really restrictive for especially Black Americans but also Americans of color. So that's a really tough legacy but I think an important context to know where we are in terms of this episode and them being there. And then just to say a word about many of the patients that are being served in the clinic. They are a member of, and I'm just gonna, I did listen to the pronunciation of this word many times. I hope that I'm pronouncing this right. It's the Tsotsa people. It's a a group in the Cape provinces of South Africa. They are an ethnic group and they are the largest ethnic group in South Africa and are native speakers of that Tsotsa language. Presently, there are over 9 million Tsotsa-speaking people distributed across the country. It's one of Southern Africa's most populous languages. They're a huge group, but that is the majority of the people that they are treating in the clinic when they come. And I just thought that was really interesting and they deserve kind of their spotlight in terms of the context of this episode. So I've said a lot. I'll I'll go back to letting you guys talk, but I appreciate just letting me kind of share some of that before we get into the big podcast here. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> You've done more than me. Carry on. <laughs> That's okay. We all do our part. We all do our part. <laughs> actually, yeah, you've not done more than me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> So this was a re- this was a really unusual Christmas special because it Christmas was only really blinking it's gone. Yeah. But yeah, it was hardly to... kind of even mentioned, was it? Yeah. I do need to there are a couple of things though. Angela dressed as a nurse at the Christmas table. Oh. <laughs> so cute. Aww, Angela was Angela. so cute anyway the whole time. She's adorable. Given that sister Evangelina is barely cold, the toast to absent friends was very cheery. <laughs> I thought. <laughs> Only Sister Monica Jones seemed to be dwelling. Well, dwelling's not the right word, is it? Sad. Just like even yeah. thought, thinking of her. Yeah, yeah, I know. So it's after Christmas dinner that they get the call about going out to Hope Clinic. Well, hang on one second. Also, Fred was Father Christmas to loads of time newborns. Absolute oh. waste of his energy and time, but I loved it. <laughs> but also the, the knitted booties that he was oh, hanging up on their cribs. No, oh. the stockings. So cute. So cute. So cute. So they get the calls. They have to go out to South Africa. Sheila. Now, Sheila's done a bit of a turnaround here because she's very quick to say that London is very full of locums and that they should just go. <laughs> <laughs> also, who is Granny Parker? That is why why have we never here. met her before? He's begging to have the children. Now, Granny Parker, I was thinking, well, Sheila, if you remember, when she was buying a wedding dress, was saying that her mum died when she was younger, right? So it can't be oh. her mum, right? Then it's not Turner, because surely that would be his mum. So is Granny Parker Tim's mum's oh. mum? The, the uh, faded extended family that we have literally been wondering about for yes. so long. So long. That's who I think Granny Parker is. Why has she not visited right. Tim before now? Maybe she visits all the time and she just doesn't want to face on the camera, so she's just not there. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if they're saying she's like a Mrs. B, you know what I mean? Like omnipresent but never seen, you know, where yeah. like, oh like 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 audience, just assume that this person is around all the time. They're not gonna be in our stories, but like they're just here. And I'm like, well, thank God, finally we hear about something. Cause I don't know. I know I know I've voiced my concerns about the lack of you know, like, or Tim's biological mother being completely erased. But anyways. Well, that's who I think Nanny Parker is. I think you're exactly right. I think that makes the most sense. Yeah. There's two reasons they're going out to South Africa. So they're going to do a polio vaccination program, which obviously strikes a chord with Sheila and Dr. Yeah. Turner. Yeah. But also, sis- it's not sister. It's mo- Is it mother Felicity? Oh, I thought it was sister Felicity. Oh, sister Felicity, mother Felicity. Felicity, she's carked it. Anyway, <laughs> I have to admit, but, I I didn't really pay attention to her name because she was gone from the word go. So I was like, I can only keep track. No, Nanartin, Nanartin's have, have lost Sister Evangelina and then Felicity. Not in the space. Yeah. You know, they've lost a few quick. Mm-hmm. But I just need to make this point. She died of amoebic dysentery. Oh, my God. Oh, God, horrible way to go. Horrible. But whenever throughout the episode they announce that she's died, they don't just say, sadly, she's died. They say, sadly, she's died. And then they pause and they say, of dysentery. Yeah, but also if an I, awful way to go. Awful yeah, way to go. Ever die of dysentery, don't announce my cause of death whenever you inform me. I won't anyone. tell anyone. I'll be like, oh, yeah, she passed really quick. No, I won't say, you know. <laughs> or I'll just be like, but I don't once- know. Well, so when we meet Dr. Myra, she said she died in harness. And I was like, what? Well, so that means that she died, died while she was still working or she was still on duty. Yeah. Oh, I also, genuinely was thinking of like a contraption. <laughs> <laughs> 
like they put her in a sling yeah. i will just say i'm not going to go into detail about this but you know we've dysentery i i was i was watching some historical thing and like we all think of dysentery as kind of like um just you know like like a very very bad upset stomach and i think a lot of people kind of liken it to you know what that is maybe like a stomach flu or, flu or something like that in terms of the symptoms and i'm not going to say more because we don't need to talk about the details but just to say there was a historical thing i was watching and they were talking about dysentery and just it's it's that but it is on like steroids like it's it's just an absolutely completely severe severe case of that so i i feel like sometimes it's not maybe given as and i'm not saying that you guys are but i sometimes feel like you know it's not given as much seriousness maybe as it really deserves but it's just a very 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 horrible thing to go through and so anyways i don't know why i felt i had to make that point but just i feel like sometimes people just think it's like really bad diarrhea and it's it's 8,000 times worse. Sorry. Well, yeah, yeah, we're aware of that, which is why we don't want people to know about it when we uh, <laughs> we die of it. Yeah, so I just felt bad. I just felt bad for her. And, and they do say that the hygiene issue is part of the reason why they think she caught it in the first place. Well, because... yeah, because they've not got clean water because of Mr. Stark. Yeah, and, and when they show up, Myra, Dr. Myra, is like, oh my god, thank goodness. I can't believe it took less time to get something shipped here with you guys from London than it did to get it out of, like, the home office clearance bay or something, like, where it's been, where, like, the stuff that I asked for has been basically languishing in customs for god knows how long, you know? Well, yeah, because obviously it's for it's for the black community and the the border control showed the disregard they had for black people didn't they yeah and i and the part of the reason i had wanted to talk about apartheid is because the soldiers the white soldiers that are kind of the the military rule in this episode that come up a few times are very rude and mean and so yeah so the way that they're treating the patients of this clinic and then even the people who care for the patients of this clinic by default is just is just terrible so it's affecting every part of life and you know even when even when that community tries to kind of stay separate they still aren't left alone they're still you know harassed and regulated and you know all of that all the time so yeah and we first meet them when they're on the bus to the clinic right and they come in and inspect everybody's passports Mm-hmm. I loved I did the bit made me laugh though where he's looking at Trixie's passport and she gives him like a best smile. He's like, don't smile. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? At the start, I very naively was like, oh, maybe this is a love interest for Trixie. And then I was like, no, this is then, very much not that. And then it, it instantly you were like, absolutely not. You don't, um, you don't weirdly, I don't want to sound too like I don't want to get people what's the word? I don't want to get people uh, annoyed with those who listen. But, Bex, did that remind you of ever any kind of immigration you've ever been through? I mean, the only time I've done that is when I've been to America. And they were just quite aggressive. <laughs> it's really scary. No, they, the thing is, we've only ever gone on holiday and they ask what the purpose of your visit is. And you just, I mean, I could never actually smuggle anything through customs because you just feel... Well, you'd want to, like, you know. I mean, no. It's being recorded. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean... Whenever a custom officer asks you what the purpose of your visit is, you just suddenly panic and think, oh, my God, I'm just on a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> now, what do you guys think of customs officers for other countries that you've been in? Have you have you traveled anywhere else where you've gone yeah. to customs? And never had any. I just feel like there's usually a man shouting, being like, go as quick as you can. Who do you think you are even breathing? <laughs> <laughs> it is quite what? terrifying. 
Yeah, yeah. I'll just say because I because this is funny. You guys have you guys have said stuff like this, and other of our British girlfriends have said things like this to me before about like, oh yeah, I went through American customs and they were so harsh and they were so rude. And I was like, yeah, well, I've been through British customs many many times. Uh, how do you think they are with me when I come through and other and the other Americans that are coming through? So well, I'll be like, like, are they? As like, I just feel like no. Honestly, I feel like ours are just a bit lazier and don't move. Whereas you've got people roaming, being like, "Get your passports out right now." <laughs> whereas ours are just sat there making you wait because they're talking to someone about a cup of tea. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I mean, I I will say like, I don't know that we are. I don't know that you guys are as shouty in terms of like the one who's like monitoring the the queue and stuff like that, like the line that people are going through. But yeah, I mean, customs officers are really serious. I mean, you guys kind of do your style of intimidation in, in like the British way, right? So you're like, you know, it's kind of that more it's interested. Under- well, it's like it's like the really it's like the cold as ice. Like I'm like I'll throw you in a gulag and then like you know say cheerio chappy on my way out as the door slams in your face. You know what I mean? So like like the British you know customs officers like are just as serious and scary, but they're just it's that British style. You know right. what I mean? Whereas Americans are just more full of like bluster and like you know that kind of high energy vibe. But yeah, you guys you guys are just as intimidating. Definitely, definitely. I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse. If I'm honest. Okay, well just to say like I mean I I first went over to the UK when I did my study abroad year and so there was like paperwork and documentation everything I had to have then so there was like that was a long interview because they had to talk to me about all that but then I would say so I had that passport for the next 10 years and then there were like all these stamps in the passport because of all those travels and everything else and so then I and I was going back for weddings and things like that and so because they saw a lot of that they were like why are you here what was your business when did you come why did you know blah blah blah. so I mean it's it's eased off once I got a new passport like and and they you know there was just I'm just been traveling kind of more for vacations and holidays and stuff but anyways well this was just for just for holidays i've never lived in america mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. actually i went to america once and my mum had basically like thrust upon me as i was leaving like a whole box full of cereal bars just so that i had like emergency food with me <laughs> so it was in like my hand luggage and then you know sometimes when you're on the plane they make you fill out that whole a4 sh- is it like oh, a yeah. whole page yeah. of like yeah, and I think it said something about smuggling in food goods, and then I was only young, so I panicked and ate them all. <laughs> <laughs> I always love the one that's a question about like, do you have like ten thousand dollars or more, like in cash bonds? Yeah, but you always you know, question yourself. You think, oh god, how much do I have? And then you're like, oh hang on, no, I do not. <laughs> Well, and then I, I always am like, oh, I wish that was a problem I was having right now. You know what I mean? I would love to have 10,000 of any monetary. Yeah. <laughs> but I've literally never in my life. So no, no, no. It's That's funny. Anyways. It occurred um, to me when you were reading through the list of who's actually gone over to South Africa. Delia mm-hmm. and Patsy are left with Sister Monica Joan. They must be living their yeah. best life right oh, now. She's not, gone, she's not gone to Wales. Those two have got the run of the house, I've written. Yeah, yeah. They're they're going to be absolutely living their best life. Yeah, they're just going to feed Sister Monica Joan 8,000 Cadbury cakes and then go do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Oh, she probably wouldn't care if they were doing anything anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She just wants to watch TV and eat, like, you know, Entenmann's, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Beck, should we get back to talking about the episode? Where do you want to take us? So, we should, should we touch briefly on Dr, so it's Dr. Fitzsimmons, but everybody calls her Dr. Myra. She's Mm. very resistant to help when she gets everybody arrives, which I can understand because you don't, like, people just coming in and all of a sudden they've got a better way of doing things, whereas she's there doing the work. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And let's be fair, if you you remember, I thought about this scene. So when Nurse Crane was talking about the fact she's got a Rolodex and she was like, I'm not into diarising disease. 
But if you remember, Nurse Crane was very much into trying to change everyone when she got there. So she's kind of got a bit of her own taste of her own medicine there. She was, mm-hmm, yeah. she was, you know, she was the one trying to whip things up this time, and she was just like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she also, the fact that she used local anaesthetic for cesarean, um, which oh. is obviously, they, well, no. To be fair, this is something that that happens now. People they do it now. People are, are awake while they have cesareans now. No, I get it. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, no, I'm not saying it's a bad practice. Just I don't know. <laughs> Needs must. Yeah. Well, just, also I, the fact that all this load, the, the fact that this a lot of people are malnourished as children, so they have narrow pelvises, so it means that they have a big need for it as well. Oh golly gosh. Yeah. I, I think I think I think my my breath there was just about kind of the overall conditions that she kind of highlights when they first show up because they're really getting oh, yeah. the lay of the land in that scene and she's like, Look, like this is the way it is, that's the way it is, this is the way it is, that's the way it is. And she just talks a lot about, you know, malnutrition, like, you know, babies are the only thing that a lot of these women have because it's their only status. It's their only real source of value in their society, both like in their society currently in South Africa with, like I said, all that apartheid, but then also just culturally in their society um, within their, you know, kind of native group and everything, you know, just. And also she's just like, do your vaccinations and F off, leave the rest to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, look, we do our best and I really don't want to hear about it because like, you know, you're here for a few weeks and I'm here for life. So like ultimately whatever you say or think uh, doesn't really matter because I'm the one who deals with the consequences exactly. of it. It's so, something like, ridiculous. Like 27 years she's been there, hasn't she? Oh God. Yes, yes, yes. Like an absolute. So she, to be yeah. fair, she has a right. It's not like she's not done a good, good innings there. She's got mm-hmm. a right to tell them how it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she, but, she's really dedicated to that population. She's so like, she loves them, you know, but she's also suffering from, from her own health issues. Mm-hmm. Which she self-diagnosed. She self-diagnosed herself with liver cancer. Mm-hmm. Can I just say though, who else noticed straight away? Sister Julianne. Now, Sister Julianne also noticed Sister Angelina. I think there's a call in here, for Sister Julianne. <laughs> <laughs> She's noticing all these illnesses left, right, and centre. Oh, She's like yeah. one of those service dogs that smells it out. <laughs> <laughs> I literally put. She sniffs it out like a dog. <laughs> oh god she really knows she really knows i'm telling you she is so i want to talk about this more later but she is the soul of empathy the soul of empathy like and yeah she just she just knows when anyone is in pain literally all the time emotional intelligence also just really quick on the sister julienne thing you know we're talking about when they were still having christmas at nanata's house yeah i liked it because they had two weeks to get prepared didn't they to go and I mm-hmm. did like that when Sister Julienne spoke to Barbara about boundaries with Tom. Yes. <laughs> when she was like, listen, you guys are not allowed to get hot and heavy in South Africa. I don't care oh. what you think you're going to do. You could Which literally part- see Barbara curling up inside herself to cringe. <laughs> but also they're hardly crossing a line, are they? No. <laughs> well, you say that real free. Actually, well, maybe Sister Julianne has figured out the brill cream stain. Well, yeah. she probably always did. She's so good. She's not just she empathetic, empathetic, empathetically empath- empathetic. Empathetic. What is wrong with me? Why can I not? Why can I not think of words? Empa- empath- empathic. Empathic. Well, yes, empathic. That's the word I'm thinking of. She's so intelligent that way, but she's also emotionally intelligent, and I think she right. can see mannerisms and things as well. She's a very She's just the best person in the world, isn't she? Let's be honest. Oh my God, I love her. She truly is. Can I just say though, like, so the Barbara and Tom thing is hilarious because like she says that now, okay, we've already discussed, like, I'm not a summer gal, okay? Like it's currently None of us are. No, none of us are. Yeah, to be fair, this is none. (laughs) 
<laughs> we're all like not here for that. But as as our listeners will know, I live in a hot climate in the southern um, states of America. And this week it has been like either like high 90s or 100 degrees all week. And so spiritually, I felt this was exactly the perfect episode for us to be watching because they're all sweating and sunburned. I've been sweaty. I've been avoiding sunburn, as you all know. It's my like I it's my thing I carry a banner about every time I go anywhere but I so I haven't gotten a sunburn but the idea it just made me laugh when she was like oh Barbara and Tom like you guys have to stay away from each other you could kind of think like okay yeah we're like we're outside of our regular work zones you know sleeping arrangements are a little bit more free-flowing like maybe we could kind of get up to something but there is nothing that I could think about wanting to do less than touch anyone in a romantic (laughs) way or any kind of a way when I am that hot 24 7 like if I have reached a point of internal and external body temperature that is above my norm and I am like actively seeing beads of sweat on my arms I don't even want to touch my own body I will literally starfish myself if I am on the sofa if I am on the floor if I am walking around I look like a weird robot I I I can't even imagine wanting to touch your partner or like, I don't even want to give like my mom or like my beloved friends like Ugh. hugs, nothing. I'm like, I don't want to touch, I don't even want my own body to touch my own body, much less do I want to touch anyone else's body. So like to me, Sister Julian just did not have to say anything because it's like, I wouldn't touch it anyway. I- oh, honestly, you're taking me back. Now, this is on topic with this. It's not really called, cool, it is baby related. So it's called the midwife. My daughter was born when it was so, so hot. And I was, so was. and I was breastfeeding and ugh. Like, oh god, this oh messy god, little baby next year. Oh, this sweat in between. Oh, and babies are muslin. so hot. Babies oh, are so hot. Disgusting. Oh. She was, you know, like, you know, when you see, like, I always, I always, this is disgusting, but I'm gonna say it. It was so sweaty. And like, she used to just be like, just because she was so hot as well, she'd be just in a nappy. So she yeah. wouldn't have any top or anything up. And you know, when you see like in, uh, I used to, you know, we talked about big business before. And yeah. I love big business, but they used to have the big chasing competitions, like yeah, the beginning, really yeah. in the mud. That's what I used to think it felt like. They were just so <laughs> slippy and it was horrible. Well, I'd be like, I'm going to drop Was she just like sliding down you and like <laughs> off of it? <laughs> like how would she stay on? Because it just, like you just start to like slip. Oh, it was rank. Don't miss that. Uh, Watch your six. Anyway, uh, let's carry on. <laughs> Should we talk about some of the mothers in this episode? Because that's what we're here to talk about. Midwifery. Yeah, no more, yeah, no yeah, more yeah. laughing now because this is all going to get very serious. So. Nurse Crane and Nurse Buckle kick things off for us. Oh, okay, yeah. this 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 one is happy. This one ends in a good way. This one is good. This one is good. So the dad comes running to the clinic just as another baby's having a febrile seizure, which is awful. Oh. And so Barbara looks after that baby. Dr. Myra looks after that baby and sends Nurse Crane off with Fred in a car to where yeah. the man's just run two miles and left his pregnant birthing wife under a tree. Yeah, under a tree. Yeah. No, not let, let's just say under a tree, yes, definitely. But this woman is literally hanging on with both arms to this tree branch while she's like crouched or like a crouch, slight crouching position because she's the like the contractions are coming and the baby is kind of, I don't know, the, the baby doesn't get born until Phyllis gets there. But like she's not sitting under a tree, kind of like just like holding her tummy, just being like, <sighs> She's like literally like hanging onto a tree, trying desperately to like make it through each contraction while her- she waits for her husband to come back. Like, and by the way, the tree is the only thing, the only thing out there. Like, it is all yeah. literally just like open, wide. I don't know what the correct term is. Well, there's an is, animal like- apparently because Fred's like, oh, there's an animal over there. I don't know what it is. And Nurse Crane's like, uh, I don't want to like, well, know if there's nothing I can do about it. Like, if there's well, nothing, she, to- well, what can we well, do? She- don't tell me. Well, she's like, yeah, are you going to protect me? Are you going to be able to solve this problem? And he's like, no, I'm really not. And she's like, okay, well, then I don't want to hear any more about it. Because 
<laughs> and he's like, oh, okay, I guess, whatever. I love that in that hot climate, though. Um, so Nurse Crane asks Fred for his shirt because they need something to put the baby into. Can I just say you would not want my shirt because it would <laughs> not be fresh and hygienic yeah, but for also, that baby. How is he wearing a vest under that yes! shirt? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. You had a vest on. And well, Dr. I Turner was... was wearing a full shirt tie vest, <laughs> like, like actual three-piece suit and a doctor's coat over the top. What was, is going on yeah, there? It just beggared belief. But also, <laughs> oh, I mean, I've strayed off subject, but just as the episode goes on, like everybody's tan lines. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> that was so well done, to be fair. <laughs> it was just amazing. Yeah, it really was. Well, and part of me was like, oh my God, like, did they literally put makeup to like get these sunburns? But I'm like, no, I think they probably actually really just got some sunburns because like. No, I think they will have done that makeup to get that. Because obviously SPF and everything, they won't have got that sunburn. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, also, off no, the subject, no, but... Fred, they have the baby. I just want to talk really quick about how emotional Fred was. He was properly blown away by it. Oh, and it was yeah. really, really cute. I just wanted to mention that because I didn't want the to poor get... dad though just sent off to sit in the van, the truck. Well, yeah, but that's that's what happened in those days, isn't it? Well, yeah. I guess. But also, Fred's joke about zebra crossing, lols. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was really sweet though. I yeah. Oh, and then the part about how the mother asked to keep the afterbirth of placenta because they want to use it in some uh, way. Up when she gets back home you know after the baby's born and everything and then uh then fred makes some comment about that and then phyllis is like oh but, but people in poplar do that too and she's like you know they they you know they use it to like as like for gardening and stuff like that among other things so the tradition it was is... a bit much there wasn't it having the afterbirth just in a kidney dish in that hot weather oh girls i mean yeah, i know so there was no ask you about this. Uh, would you use afterbirth on your garden me yeah. I didn't hear the start of that. No, I couldn't. I would just, I would faint. Yeah, but if someone said they'd put the afterbirth on your garden for you, would you do it? Because it's a really good fertilizer, apparently. I'm not convinced. Like, how quick? No, I'm not convinced by it. Oh, I thought you would. I would have put uh, money see, if you did if, if someone, and no one asked me, but I'm just going to tell you my opinion. <laughs> if someone would deal with it and do it for me, then I would I would go for it. Because think about how, like, what it's made up of, right? I'm with you Jen I just don't want to have to deal with it also how quickly does that rot down I don't know but I'm worried about oh, it's coming in my garden and rats it would it would go away fast it would go away fast because it's it's basically just like soft tissue so I mean it would disintegrate relatively I mean it, not in like a day but I mean it would go quickly oh, I don't know I mean, I've tried making compost and it wasn't easy I know but the, but see, the thing is compost is totally different like this would well, okay, I don't know. I have no idea how you would use it in a garden, but all I'm assuming is that you would do something to the afterbirth to like prep it and then you would like chop it up, maybe like, like, yeah, like break it up into like smaller, you know, parts or whatever. And then you kind of yeah. bury that throughout or whatever. And then you would just let it like go back to the earth. I mean, it, ultimately, everything goes back to the earth. So yeah, I'm just wouldn't... squeamish. I'm just squeamish. So I don't know if I could deal with it. Oh, I wouldn't want to touch it, look at it, smell it, anything like that. As long <laughs> if it, if someone just said, Oh, I'll just put it in there. And then when I'm done, I'll come in, wash my hands. We have a cup of tea I'd be like okay that's fine but like <laughs> I'm not even really sure why I'm worried about this because I don't think it's ever going to happen in my, my husband's life, but... not at all squeamish he's the exact opposite of me he's watches yeah. all horror films he's all into it he was into the birth he was all excited the afterbirth was the only thing that's ever made him feel ill <laughs> 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 it was just like it was like some alien thing I was just like thanks well 
girls, girls, I'll just disclose something, okay? Before I ever started watching the show, before ever really like doing, you know, any of this kind of stuff like that, I I thought that when I when I pictured what a placenta was, I pictured something that looked vaguely like um a kidney or a liver, kind of like a blobish type of a shape or whatever, and that it was just kind of tucked away in whatever area of the you know there was for it to find and latch onto. Now that I've seen the show and have and know what it looks like, somehow it's really I don't want to use the word disturbed, but like it is really like uh, like it's just there's something very freaky about it, and I don't know and like I don't know it's like it's so it, oh it's just ooh, uh it's weird. It's weird. Like it really is one of those times where you're just reminded like oh my god my human body is so freaking bizarre and you're just like what am I even you know what I mean you're like what do I even live inside of like how is you know like how am I exist like but some people actually eat it actually a lot of people do eat it a lot of a lot of people like have a tradition in their culture of that yeah I know well, it's true a thing you can pay for now which is putting it into a pill form so yeah you- and I would I would have it in the pill form, but I want to know if any of our listeners have ever eaten their own placenta. Oh, yeah. Send it in. Let us know. Oh, yeah. That is really cool. I would love to know. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you somebody has. Somebody's got to. A lot of cultures yeah, it's, do- it's apparently quite good for your health benefits and everything. There's like, there's a reason well, people do it. But and I'm again- fine. I'm fine in capsule form. Uh, if they did do it, I want to know what form they had it in. Did anyone just fry it up like a piece of kidney? Yeah. I mean, again, think about what it is, right? I mean, it's basically filled with nutrients, growth, hormones, like, you know, like it's like it's filled with a lot of stuff that like makes a baby healthy, happy, good, growing, you know, all that type of stuff. That's what the organ does in the function that it occupies inside in that, you know, so it makes sense why people would want to. Yeah, it makes sense. Not for me. I'm not really going to get there. But (laughs) if that's your thing, I love it for you. Anyway, how do we even get here? Right, speaking of babies, but not babies, should we talk about Rosa? Oh, Rosa. Now, Rosa used to work as a secretary. Oh, I loved Rosa as well. She was just so bright and happy and lovely. She'd been married for 10 years and she'd basically basically been longing for a baby for 10 years mm. so i i pronounced this wrong when i was doing the intro because i was kind of talking a little bit fast but the layman's term is a false pregnancy but the but what they call it is a pseudosiesis which is obviously as i said a false pregnancy but her her she basically wished herself into thinking that she was pregnant and then even to the point where she was having labor pains well, also and the stomach yeah she was growing everything was yeah. growing yeah and and it was basically as i I don't know if this term is still used. I mean, well, I'm not even going to say it because it's, it's, it's not a very nice one anyway, but just like a psychological condition, you know, like she just, she willed her body into mimicking, you know, the, the pregnancy symptoms. And it was just, yeah. oh, it was just heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking when she basically, when Trixie, well, we first met Rosa when she came to the clinic, she had a bad cut on her hand. Yeah. Then she leaves the clinic to go back to her family because she wants to give birth at home and do it the old-fashioned way. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The traditional mm-hmm. way. But then when she's been in labour for three days and it's not progressed, Trixie and Barbara go out to see her and Trixie examines her and then realises that she's she's not in labour and that it is a phantom pregnancy. But when she says, oh, I'm," they have to break it to her and she just says that she's a fool and she's nothing. I was like, oh. But also, how amazing was Barbara? Because Trixie was so upset by it, she just couldn't. And Barbara was just, I just think Barbara's just grown so much. She's really emotionally intelligent and she's really good with 
education. I think she's really big with empathy as well. And she went and she was like, I'm so sorry, it's not a book. And she's like, it's not fair and you will. But she just felt like such a failure, didn't she? When she was like, Mm -hmm. empty. She's like, I'm empty. There's nothing to me. She was like, there is, you will find your purpose. And it was a really, really moving scene. Again, you know, Call the Midwife always is moving and amazing. This is why we love yeah, it so much. But, yeah. oh, that was a gorgeous scene. And Rose is just so bright and sunny when you first meet her. And for her to be that dejected. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And down. Oh, it was so sad. And she's, Barbara says to her, you will find a reason to go on. And we're jumping ahead a little bit, but she does because she becomes the clinic administrator when Ugh. they all leave to go back to... Popper. And she looked so smart, and I cheered. Came <laughs> hey, in with a typewriter. I loved it. I know. Same. We also meet Constance. Yeah. Now, should we double back a bit before we talk about Constance? Because I just want to talk about the scene where I mentioned that Rosa had gone to the clinic because she'd cut her hand. Const, why was Constance at the clinic already, or was she just? I, I got the feeling she was there just for um, prenatal care because she'd already had history. two. She'd lost two babies before, hadn't she? Yeah, yeah. She said she said one in her tummy and one in her arms, which but absolutely. those are lovely, but also very heartbreaking scene around the campfire. Oh. oh. Yeah, yeah. So Constance and Rosa are both sat and it's Nurse Crane. Well, they got invited as well. Well, wait, sorry, Bex, I'm just going to, I'm just going to railroad over you for one second. So Trixie, Barbara and Phyllis are all sat around the campfire. Trixie's smoking. Barbara's complaining about bug bites. And Trixie is saying, oh, if you smoke, then that'll repel the bugs. Barbara, Nurse Crane is like, neither one of you should be smoking, like chill. And then Sister Winifred comes up and she's like, do either of you have something to help me with my sunburn? She's like, under here, I'm a redhead. And then Phyllis is like, yeah, I actually kind of guessed based on your eyebrows. So they're like chatting. And then Rosa and Constance like have come out of the hospital and they're kind of like standing like, you know, away from the girls, but looking at them. And then Barbara's like, oh, hi or Barbara and Trixie see them because Phyllis and Winifred's back are turned and they see them and they're like oh hi and they kind of like wave them over and the girls like and Rosa and Constance are like ooh should we shouldn't we but then they're but then you know they're like come on come on and so they go over and sit and then they start this conversation and then we'll tell what happens when they're sitting there but just to say they were hesitant about coming but then they join the convo and then anyway we'll go from there but I just love the camaraderie between everybody yeah yeah and then it's a really lovely atmosphere it was yeah Sorry, you can you can say no. You go. You well, go. 
<laughs> just to say, I, you know, obviously Rosa and Constance have experienced this from other people. So, you know, I mean, because Dr. Myra is, is white and everything, you know, so I mean, but you can tell that Rosa and Constance are a little bit hesitant, but, you know, they they do have this beautiful camaraderie scene with Trixie and Barbara and Winifred and, and Phyllis and everything. And they're talking about, you know, they're like Rosa and Constance are sharing things about like their life experiences. And they're like, you know, Constance discloses that, you know, like she had these two pregnancy losses and their husbands are away at work, like literally away, like out of the house, out of town for work, like 10 months of the year. And there's, you know, they're so responsible for, you know, so many things, but then they also have this great community around them of like other women who help them out. And so it's this really beautiful scene. And then Trixie puts on her um, record player and they start dancing and everyone's kind of getting into it and like having a good laugh and stuff. And then these two officers, the same ones that stopped the bus when they were on the way to the clinic at the beginning, come over and they, you know, start, start shouting at the girls and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, we're just having fun. No one's hurting anybody. And they're like, you're, you know, you're not allowed to congregate with each other. And like, even if they don't know the rules, you two do and he points to the to Rosa and Constance and then they just are like oh okay sorry yeah, but and Trixie like... was really good Trixie was like officer we will get our patients back to their ward and we yes. will accompany them she was really yes. strong and amazing yes exactly and just yeah I mean oh that made me so mad that whole scene made me so mad not the scene mm. what what happened with the officers I loved what was happening with the women but yeah officers... because it, it was I thought it was a lovely scene but then it showed the reality of the reality of the, seg- the separation the segregation yeah. the absolute like you know systematic like racism and bigotry that everyone was living under and like was oppressing everyone everyone yeah. I mean especially press oppressing you know those women but also oppressing, you know, the the white people in that interaction that were trying to connect with their patients that cared well, for them. I thought being. they'd used Winifred as not normally hanging around and dancing with them in that situation as well mm-hmm. because of that to kind of highlight it because obviously she was doesn't normally hang around with them dancing and stuff. They usually do that in their room getting ready together. So this is something that's right. quite unusual. But I just thought that was to show that everyone was kind of there enjoying it. It was a very communal feeling and yeah. then that happened even more. I just thought it was just to show the stark contrast a bit more. Yeah. Also, you did you what? hear what song they were dancing to, Bex? I did at the time. Somewhere <laughs> beyond the sea. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that did not register with me at well, all. Uh, well, listeners, that's one of Becky's favourite songs ever. She didn't even notice it. So. <laughs> Can you have a favorite song if you don't remember your favorite song though? Apparently you can. They didn't. I'm going to watch that scene back again. You can, and you'll realize that we were right. <laughs> they also so had great. locomotion, Livy's uh, locomotion. Yes, they did. Whatever whatever you do in the strange new dance now. And that other one, oh, what's it called? Uh, the Hayababa. That one. I'm not quite getting it. Very famous song. Hayama or Hiyama. And it's Pata Pata song. It's Ace. I do know the one that you mean. Yeah. When they're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might be the everyone. Jen's looking at me like I've got six heads. No, you'll know it. You'll know it, Jen, once you hear it. Okay, maybe I need to go back and watch that song again. Watch that scene again for that song. Yeah. It's sending you while she she looks at the other song. But Constance goes into labour. She's she's not progressing. She needs a cesarean. Dr. Turner and Sheila are away because they've taken Dr. Myra to the local town because she needs to get medication for a liver problem. Mm-hmm. Now, have we speak, spoken about the fact that it was a hematic abscess that need to be dra- needed to be drained? No, we haven't talked no, about it. No, we didn't it. go into that level of detail. When he was actually draining it. I know. Oh, no I could 
Oh, they well, and 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 just to say, Dr. Myra, okay, she she is she takes no beef from anyone. And if you ever doubted her or thought she was any kind of type of way, the second that she was like, do that, do the sir, do the like procedure on me to help my liver abscess, but don't give me any pain medication because that's for my patients. I mean, her her title as a complete badass was cemented because 100%. she was already in so much pain anyway. And then to go through what she went through, I mean, she was obviously acting, you know, but oh my gosh, I was just like, Hang wow. on, what, this isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> there was a gorgeous singing scene with Constance and Barbara as well, wasn't there, when she was giving birth? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Trixie had to step up and do yeah, so the So Sister Julian basically says she needs a cesarean. Trixie says, now, did you see a lot of yourself in Trixie with this? Because you and I have both done this, Alex. When something needs to be done and you're like, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> you once said you could make me a pair of shoes that I'd seen. That's my toxic trait. <laughs> oh, oh, God. I could have made them shoes. They were ridiculous bets. You guys, I you guys, I just saw I just saw a TikTok not long ago. I told my mom about this where it was it was a girl who was like, oh, she's like, I think every man have this toxic toxic trait where they think that if they were if they had to land a commercial airliner that they could do it. I've and seen this. Have you seen it? And so then like the next slides like you go through and it's this it's this person like texting like all the men in their lives. And it's like, do you think you could plant you could land a commercial airliner if you had to? And the guys and like some of the guys are just first off like, yes, like no questions asked. Yes, I definitely <laughs> could. Some of the men are like, well, wait, do I have access to like the air air traffic control so they can like help me? And it's like, yeah, sure. And then it's like, yeah, I definitely think I could. And then <laughs> like the, the other ones are like, well, yeah, you know, it just like goes through and it's just like, wow, like you really think you can do that like no and I just I just thought it was hilarious because I have a one of my cousins was a um, marine fighter pilot and then he's now transitioned to commercial flying and then another cousin of mine basically did the same thing so we have some pilots in our family and just I all I could think about it was just like how many times he's like talked to us about all the different things and you know he was a he was a flight instructor when he was in the marines and then he like has like 50 million hours and everything and I just the idea that you could literally just be a regular person and then someone comes to you and is like sir you have to land the plane and then they just go <laughs> to the cockpit and just go but Trixie steps up she's right there with them well Trixie oh. at least knows what she's doing though yeah and she's seen she a lot for why, she makes a really good case for why she can do it she's like I've observed this she's like I've done stitches I've talked to Dr. Myra about it she's like I've I've you know they, they all have so much medical training and experience but also it's she was just so up for it like me with those shoes I was making she was just like <laughs> I can do this <laughs> But and then when so when the actual operation went ahead, yeah, and Julian was and, and Nurse Crane were not up for it, whereas Nurse Nurse Gilbert and yep. Trixie were up for it. Yeah, and uh, Barbara and Trixie was just amazing, but they had a bit of an issue during the actual operation, and yeah. Trixie had to get Barbara to push the baby up the birth canal, and <laughs> <laughs> oh, they did so well. But then the scene afterwards when they just finished that birth went really well. Yeah. Constance got her baby it was amazing it was a really gorgeous scene and then yeah. afterwards Trixie looked like she just she was shake, hands shaking she had to go oh, outside tears. yeah but then Barbara went and joined her and the fact they were just crying together outside elated but also relieved it was just a lovely lovely scene again just it was and Barbara drained. says to Trixie I couldn't be more proud of it like you absolute I know they're acting so well done but yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> It was great, the actives. That's not right. That's not good grammar. 
the acting was great, not the actors. The acting was great. Do you know what I wanted to see, though? I wanted to see Dr. Turner's reaction when he got back with them saying, guess what we did while you were gone? It didn't happen. No, People it didn't. just would have been like, okay, great. Like, love it. Anyways, moving on. The thing is, I, okay, and this is a more serious point. I just want to make this. So Rosa and Constance were kind of often portrayed in tandem with each other. You know, their their scenes were very intertwined and their stories were very, you know, interlocked and everything. And for me, when I was watching the episode, so both girls are taking care of both mothers but Trixie goes in to give the examination to Rosa when she's in labor and comes out and says to Barbara you know like I've I've done the whole examination there's no baby in there it's you know this is a situation and she's like I don't know how to tell her you know I'm I'm completely you know at a loss here and Barbara says I'll tell her like and just jumps right in and I had this thought of like well Barbara that isn't in my this was my gut reaction I was like Barbara that isn't your responsibility like Trixie needs to be the one to do it you know she's given the examination she's the one who's been you know taking the lead on the labor and so I kind of felt like Barbara like took the bullet you know what I mean like Trixie kind of got off let me let me let me let me just finish let me just finish so Barbara goes in there, she carries that emotional load, you know, it's it's a huge, really, really tough scene for her, and, you know, Rose is so upset, understandable or anything, she, she, she does an amazing job, she's so great. Then, Constance comes in, and Trixie performs the surgery, and Barbara's the one who kind of is the, you know, like, second, you know, to her, like, she, she does, she helps, right, but she, but Trixie's the one who really takes on the responsibility, yeah, yeah, yeah. really takes on the challenge, and then, then they both go out and have that scene where they're crying and everything, and I thought, okay, this is, this is where, this is where, like, to me, that was not redemption, because Trixie didn't need redemption, but I thought, this is the balancing act that these women are doing all the time, you know, where you have these really, really, really tough situations, and sometimes you do need your colleague to go in and kind of take one for you and then you go back and return the favor you know because that's just how it works you know there's just always going to be a lot there's it's always really heavy and so I like that in the those two storylines between the mothers both Trixie and Barbara were kind of balanced in what they took on in their teamwork teamwork yes teamwork so that's why I wanted to highlight I just really I just really appreciated both of them you know rising to the occasion when they could and then also you know supporting the other one when they weren't able to maybe do the do the extra extra tough thing yeah well now we've not spoken about Mr. Stark yet but Mr. Stark is a local landowner Mm -hmm. he basically owns the land next to them next to them and there's a a fresh spring, so a fresh source of water, which could be piped across his land to the clinic. But his Jen touched upon it in kind of the introduction to the episode that his wife died. She, I thought they said purple fever. I heard per purpose per purpose soon. I, I don't, don't know remember. what it was. There was a name of something that the wife was afflicted with, which then caused her to lose her life and the baby not long after. So she she went into labor early. She gave birth to a four pound baby girl. Yeah. She died the following day. The baby died a week later. So he's never gotten over the loss of his wife. Right. And it what it what I mean Right, I'm gonna say something here that really annoyed me. So Dr. Mary, they were talking about the fact they needed this water and they couldn't do it and it was only days away from getting new water and it was just different ways of them to do it. It was a headache for Tom because he had to go through it and Fred was there with him because Fred's been in LLMA and doing drains and stuff. Now during the first bit, Myra was talking about him, this this 
Dr. Stark quite matter-of-factly, Mr. Stark, sorry, quite matter-of-factly, basically just saying, yeah, he won't let us have his land. But then when she was ill with uh, with Sister Juliet, now she told them, like, it, she didn't tell them all the facts at the start. She was like, oh, yeah, he's, he's annoyed because he had a wife here that died. And she, it was just really quite late to the day to tell them all that information. I was a bit like, you could have told them that right near the start. So they, Tom wasn't knocking on the door being like, let me get on your land, you bugger. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's dramatic pacing. You, oh, it annoyed me. If you just get go drop it all at the beginning then it's then it, there's no tension that's building like they're they're you have to have all those factors working at once you know well, annoyed me and then <laughs> but also tom tom then is like right i'm gonna get this sorted now everybody's expectation is he's gonna get this sorted in a day or yeah, so same yeah oh i know yeah but in actual fact the reality of the situation is that it's gonna take months and, and I'm yeah. like, Tom, that's the piece of information that I was irritated because he, like, who, Sister Julian is like, okay, Tom, I need this water ASAP. Like, when the heck is this thing going to be done? And he was like, oh, at least like two and a half months from now, at least, at least. And she's like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? She's like, I have got nothing in the next 12 hours. And he's like, oh, well, that is a problem. Yeah, I will. I mean, so that to me was more of an egregious, like, don't tell anybody like the timeline of this. I mean, the, the reason I'm going to kind of push back a little bit on your point, Al, is like, yeah, it is annoying that Dr. Meyer didn't say that at the beginning, but she was so reticent to share or like get connected with the with the visiting team from Anatis at the beginning. Like she didn't want to tell them anything. And like they yeah, were having that a would meeting. have been useful. And the other thing that annoyed me was so Dr. Sister Juliet, so Tom goes around, he's having none of it. Sister Julianne goes around and she's like, I will pray for you. And I know about you. So you know how she is. She's amazing. And yeah. she was all like, I'm gonna I've heard about your family and all this stuff. And then she kind of plants the seed in him that there's other children that exist there and that could die because he won't give them their water supply. Yeah. And what annoyed me was as if he's not thought about that in however many years it's been that, that do you know what I mean? That's that annoyed me too. I was just a bit like, Oh Yeah, but he's clearly not thought about that because yeah, it's only now that he actually goes to the clinic. She kind of says this could be a memorial to your wife. Wow. Also, let's just let's just be it. real. We all we all love Dr. Myra, but like we know what her style is like. And like the reason why she told Sister Julian the story, I think, when she did, was because she was feeling extremely vulnerable in that moment. And also she saw how much other people were doing to help her when she's always been only ever the one to help anybody else. And I could see how Dr. Myra, like in the follow-up, like after, you know, Mr. Stark's wife passed away, that she might have gone and talked to him and everything like that. But I could also be see them like completely start fighting with each other and then she called him like you know like a cold-hearted old crone or whatever and then just stormed out of the room and been like fine you know screw you then or something like dr myra does not seem diplomatic in any type of way and like yeah, that's I'm, true that is i true. wouldn't be surprised if in addition to dr mr stark's like hard-heartedness that she also then like perhaps exacerbated the situation to the point where there was just a complete impasse between the two of them that is actually a very good point that's made me turn around also, <laughs> um, I liked how Sister Julianne was really, when he actually did come to the clinic and he was like, do you not bathe babies? And she was like, we don't have enough water. Now, excuse me. She was dead cold with him. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I don't have time to attend to you right now. Also, right, like, one more thing I'm going to say, and I know I'm, I'm hormonal again, but <laughs> you know what really annoyed me is, you know, when they actually did, so, so spoiler alert, they got the spring, he gave permission, they went across his land, they got the spring done, everything was great, and then they got a little boy that we'll talk about in a minute to turn it on, right? Yeah. The spring was not efficient. There was water going everywhere. That really annoyed me. What a waste. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're all showering in it and shouting in glee. I'm like, turn it off. I'm fun well, with it. No, that, that 
It's because the tank was already full. Well, why That's why it overflowed. Why? But yes, it was a waste of water. But yeah, yeah, but also maybe just edit that bit out. I I don't know that I had the same reaction, but in solidarity with you, Al, I will agree with you and say yes, it was annoying. Yeah. Although I tell you what got me is when I don't know if it's when Tom were first went to the the Stark farmhouse or when Sister Julienne like at the clinic they're desperate for water Mm -hmm. and they've got somebody out watering the lawn I know and it's like green grass yes yeah it's like so verdant and lush and like everywhere else in the episode is like this very beige brown tan caramel colors of like dry soil and like you know tree husks and all this kind of thing like that and then they show Mr. Stark's like home and property and it's all you know like lovely gorgeous trees and flowers and everything and you're like oh there's there we go. That's the difference right there. Yeah. One thing I did notice, and I don't know if you guys picked up on it. Mm. Did you notice when Tom was digging the pipeline, his sweaty chest hair? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I was drawn to it then. Tom got so tanned, as did Trixie. You know, they were the only two people in the group that got tanned. Well, we like, know well, I've done that trip surprised. as well. I know. I'm not surprised that those two hooked up because on that beach scene when Trixie was wearing that bikini. Yeah. Yeah, she looked she, ridiculously she looked good. Amazing. Yeah, very, very glamour, beach glamour. And poor Barbara in her like sad secondhand ruched crazy color bathing suit where, oh, that was well, the most flattering baby suit in the whole world. This whole episode, Barbara, I just had so much like I saw myself in her because she was just sweaty the whole time. Oh, if I was anyone on this trip, I would be Barbara. 1,000%. I'd have all the bug bites. I'd have all the sunburn. I'd be sweating my butt off. Also, travel sick. I get travel sick. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what really annoyed me, though? Nurse Crane was really like uh, rude about it. She was like, come on, you need to get over it now. You need to grow a backbone. And then there was a spider (laughs) on the floor. And she screamed and Barbara got it with a shoe. And she's like, oh, there might be some venom on that awesome backbone. And I was like, yes, Barbara. <laughs> well, listen, Chris just told me that she stunk and she needed to go take a bath with like 8,000 bars of soap to clean it up because she smelled of human mustiness, which was really hard. Oh, but, but Phyllis did it in a nice way. In a nice way. She, yeah, she said you're not normally challenged. What did she say? You're not normally challenged in the personal hygiene department hygiene yeah but still it's not nice to tell someone that they're like stinking and they make the whole room no, smell but bad. she didn't tell her that she stank she was just like hmm, can anybody smell something that's a bit speaking of something else that's a bit yucky and makes your stomach turn is it <laughs> where tom said to barbara in my mind i'm kissing you very gently oh! yeah <laughs> <laughs> we were talking you mentioned how barbara was taking care of the baby that had the seizure and i didn't bring it up at that point but that gently i was like oh like don't and i and i mean god bless barbara she goes i'm kissing you back and i just was like that is the most weirdly like you know how people say nowadays like it gives you the ick like that fully gave me the ick i'd be like oh no tom it's been a good run but we're done babe like i can't do it if you're gonna talk to me like that this is not gonna happen Uh, it reminded me like something out of um like dungeons and dragons or something when you roll the dice and it's like (laughs) I'm getting you this weapon. Like, I'm kissing you gently. 
So there's this scene where they have a bit of a holiday, but they have a bit of a holiday on the beach together and they have like a few hours off and Barbara's getting annoyed. She's like, we're taking a holiday from this. Like it's an actual holiday where this is their lives. And I love, I just love, she's just a warrior again. Oh, Barbara's amazing. Yeah. And we were just talking about the fact that she was wearing this swimsuit and everything and she was getting a bit annoyed about it. And she shouted, she was a bit curt-tongued with Tom about it, but she was fine. But then Barbara, no, no, Trixie and Tom sit together, don't they? Mm -hmm. And um, she's talking about how, you know, strong Barbara is and how Barbara's afraid of much less than you think. And he's like, I don't think she's afraid of anything. Like, you know, he, he sees everything in it. And she's like, I've, I've known for a long time, longer than you, I think, that this is to be the person you spend the rest of your life with. And obviously, like, I don't know if they're trying to imply that she's planting the seeds in it or that he should get together or that she's kind of giving him permission to propose. Mm-hmm. I think she's given him permission. Yeah. But then she okay. says, no hand-me-down rings. Oh, uh, this annoyed me. Same. Because I'm just thinking, if anyone's suited to a second-hand ring or not even having one, it's Barbara. She wouldn't care less. So, but also, I, I think it's, it's lovely. I it's so different. Okay, you guys keep talking. Sorry, go ahead. I think it's lovely to have a piece of jewellery that's been passed down. Same. I think Unless it is, horrible. too. <laughs> I think it is, too. But, did I mean, are you saying you didn't you didn't think Trixie's point about Barbara specifically was well-made? Yeah, just I just think... more about the fact that, like, if anything, like, I don't think I'm not saying she should he should give her the ring that that um that he gave her. But what I am saying is, like, Barbara of anyone wouldn't care if it was new, old, or anything. And the fact that she's like, give her a new one, it could be a new diamond or whatever. Don't give her, you know, what you know, she deserves something. It's Barbara because she has second hand. She doesn't care. But also, okay. he can't afford a ring. Like, he's not in a position where he can just go out and buy a diamond ring. Okay, and I, I get, oh, no, I, get, no, I, I okay. need to carry on. Okay. It's not as if. He bought Trixie a new ring. She then gave him him back, and then he's going to re-gift it to Barbara. <laughs> like it, it's a family heirloom. Okay. So I just think it's out of order of Trixie. And also, yes, I can understand Barbara's there in a secondhand swimming costume, but I just don't think that when it comes to engagement ring, it's not like just some hand me down. She's always had hand me down clothes. It's, it's a completely different thing. Well, I also didn't know if it was like a scene for Trixie being like. I feel a bit annoyed that it's, it was my ring a bit. Still, I didn't know. No. Okay. okay. I, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna completely go the other direction here. All right. First of all, I don't think it was a comment on secondhand rings in general. I don't think it was a comment on heirlooms. I don't think it was a comment on any of that. Okay. And I don't even think it was a comment on what Barbara would be happy with or would accept. I think it was Trixie saying to Tom that you know I love Barbara I see the amazing woman she is I think you guys would make an amazing couple whether it's my permission or my blessing or I'm planting a seed in you that I think you know maybe you've been slow to realize or whatever I want to you know she's she's doing this kind of saying to him you know like look at how special she is look how wonderful she is and to me what the comment about the ring was is not what that ring in particular is or whatever it's that Yes, Barbara would and does accept a lot of these things with grace and sweetness and she's perfectly happy with it. But I think what Trixie was trying to say there is, is that Barbara is a one of a kind. She is an original. She is special. She is like your queen. Like she deserves the best. She deserves something that is truly her own, that is like for her, picked for her. What she wants that doesn't have anything to do with what she would be happy with or what she would settle for because of whatever, because she's so sweet that she would go for it. You need to give her the primo number one 
thing. Not necessarily the most expensive, not necessarily, you know, like, you know, whatever. But you need to pick something out with only Barbara in mind because she is as, she is, a no, she's number one. And she deserves to be number one if you are going to choose her for your wife and then give her the symbolic gesture of an engagement ring in that moment. And to me, that's what Trixie was lobbying for is like, give Barbara what she truly deserves, which is this really special beautiful symbol of your love and like that can only be from you to her not like the ring you already had or whatever like that it wasn't a comment on like secondhand you know all that other stuff it was like this is about barbara specifically is how i took it but that's not tom's reality and that spoiler alert no but what happened but the thing is like he gives her a blade of grass and like that is the that is trixie's point that's like her point made that's her point fulfilled there because tom in that moment pulls the blade of blade of grass it's a completely fresh it's completely brand new it's it's a symbol of like what he wants to give to her and he says listen you can have a diamond you can have a gold band you can have whatever you want when we get home but he's like this blade of grass right here it like it was made for this moment it was made only for the two of us and so even though it was only a blade of grass like literally free it was symbolically the special unique truly only for her thing that he was giving her and that's what was really mattered not how much it cost or whatever like that but that it was only about her for her in that moment to celebrate like and symbolize like their love and that was lovely but she could have got his grandmother's ring when she got home (laughs) well if she if that's what she asked for if that's what she wanted sure definitely but if she wants a new diamond ring then like yeah she should get it also she should and i don't really care about tom's salary honestly like i can't have this conversation now without jumping ahead to what ring barbara actually ends up with well i I actually can't remember what ring she ends up with she ends up buying her own she what she buys her own ring (laughs) because he can't afford anything Well, to be fair, fair, I will say though, the blade of grass was lovely. Let me love you, except this blade of grass. Will you marry me? It was lovely. It was lovely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we've we've gone too far on this point. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able far. to hug him at that point because I would have been too hot. I would have been like, okay, like I'll just put my fingertips on top of your shoulder and say thank you very much for proposing to me because it was just too hot. But yes, I love the blade of grass. Can we also talk about Abel and Math- Matthias? Oh, Matthias. I loved Abel. Yeah. Two little so boys. So how old do you think they were? Like ten and eight or something? Or 12 and 8 or something oh yeah yeah I, I i was thinking more like six and nine or something and they like heard that. about the polio vaccination and yeah. they and he walked eight miles with his brother on his back because he had he got polio and can't walk now and he walked mm. there because he thought it could cure it and he took money and he was like don't worry about me but get my brother it was just absolutely heartbreaking yeah. and they were just so lovely and dr turner had to break the news to them that, look he's had it you know you can have it again you can have the polio vac- vaccination but obviously but also is when Dr. Turner breaks to it, it to him, he says, I'm going to break this to you man to man. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and anyway, so it, cut long story short, they obviously, he was quite dejected, but it was, you know, that's, that's, he's had it. Um, but then Sheila rang Nanata's house and got Sister Monica Joan to send the Timothy's old leg braces over to her with a Christmas yeah. cake. <laughs> why, was, why was sister monica joan all of a sudden trying to get rid of the cake she just doesn't care for christmas cake yeah she doesn't like christmas cake it's the only christmas the only cake she doesn't like <laughs> also i really want to talk about the lovely moment at the start when they get in the clinic they get in the clinic and they're talking about how the fridge is paraffin and everything like this and they're trying to work out how it all works and they feel really overwhelmed and they say it's times like these. I think what would Sister Evangelina do? Which I thought was a really nice tribute. To oh, her. that was a, that was a really nice tribute. Yes, yes. Photos at the end just made me cry and cry and cry. Oh, 
Oh God, I know, I know. When I like welcome. Phyllis has her camera out and they take out all the different photos. They take, yeah, they take the photos of everyone in the in various different things. And oh, it's just oh, it was so good. But also, this was on Christmas Day. I was taking back to the fact that the people are watching this episode on Christmas Day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and just a word to say at the end: Doctor Myra completely recovers from her illness and returns, and she's going to be on like bed rest or whatever. And Trixie's going to stay behind and like yes. be like the acting manager of the clinic until Doctor Myra is fully recovered, and Doctor Myra can continue her work. And so the clinic is going to be okay because now they and have I the water, wonder... now they have the doctor, now they have the supplies. They're going to be okay. And I wonder if this was because Trixie in real life was on Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, oh. do you know what? I was wondering why she was taking a break. Because mm. she misses the next couple episodes of the next yeah. season, right? I think it's because she was on Strictly Come Dancing. How far did she get on that show? Quite far. Right. Should we do Heroes and Zeros, ladies? Yes, let's. Bex? My hero is going to be Trixie for doing the nice. cesarean, for doing exactly what we think we can do, but actually achieving it. Yeah, love it. My zero is going to be the sergeant. That's a good one. Yes. He's Just for his general attitude and for everything that he stands for. Who is your hero again? Oh, Trixie for doing the cesarean. Okay, right, right. And he's my zero. Who's next? Mm-hmm. You, Al. My hero is Sheila Ooh. for a few reasons. Um, number one, obviously, getting the leg braces. She actually actioned it. The way she actually got um, Sister Dr. Myra to go to the hospital because she was speaking about bodies not being reliable witnesses and everything. She did a really gentle conversation with her about it. She actually got her to speak to Dr. Turner about it because well, she was so resistant to any medical intervention at all. She wouldn't even get checked out by him. And also... My other one is when they were made to move the car and um, <laughs> oh, I know. And Tom was saying that he's on missionary work and he needs to think charitable thoughts because he's on missionary work and, she, and he needs to think not uncharitable thoughts. And she was like, I'm happy to think them for you, said Sheila. <laughs> and Dr. Turner was like, that's my girl. And one last reason is because of a nylon. Oh, the bi-nylon <laughs> nightgown that she comes out in. Yeah. Do you know what, though? I was thinking when she put that on, like, that is not a breathable fabric. Yeah, well, Dr. No, Turner was loving it. I don't think it was well, on long. I was going to say, yeah, he was going to get that right off. So I don't even have to worry <laughs> about breathable or not, Bex. She was. And my zero is also, it has to be that it has to be the, the awful, well, the whole system, the whole apartheid system. There you go. Yeah. Don't need to explain that. <laughs> okay, so my hero is Sister Julianne for the scene that she has. Well, well, she's amazing across this episode, but especially the scene that she has with Mr. Stark in his home. And just like little um, spoiler for our series recap, that quote will be in that series recap. So just so you guys have a head start on that one. Her ability, lose. yeah, well, her ability to be empathetic is truly a model for us all in terms of just she's. She just is on a complete another level and I love her so much. And like her her empathy and her compassion are just just stupendous. Okay. My zero is also gonna be apartheid. I think we all basically chose that. I'll just put into that big, big topic one extra kind of part of it which is so insidious and so horrible and just was brought out to me in the scene with all the girls from Nanatis and then Rosa and Constance where the where the horrible officers came up and said oh you know you guys can't be together you this is congregating and everything and you know they didn't know but you guys should know better and everything that the thing any of it is terrible but forcing people to separate that way forcing people to not be able to you know talk build relationships communicate you know build society with each other breeds the kind of terrible thoughts and othering that happens as a as a symptom of this kind of bigotry and 
racism. And I just, it didn't happen for this group, which is, which is good, but keeping people apart really makes you not see them in their fullness of, of their, you know, personhood. And then that is what allows other terrible things to happen. And I just was so mad at that. And it just made me feel that so much in that, in that way. And the thing is, I mean, America has a really complicated history with this as well. You know, I live in a state where this was part of its history and everything. And I just, you know, the legacy of it is just so horrible and complicated. And, you know, just forcing people apart when they are trying to be together and be together happily and peacefully and productively just really made me so mad. And so it's the opposite of what Sister Julianne did. It's the opposite of finding empathy and compassion with the other, you know? Okay. That's it. Here, here, agree. <gasps> well, next week, we are going to do the recap episode. Series recap, yeah. Yeah, which is my favourite because I don't have to make it a note. Jen's so. <laughs> <laughs> least favourite. <laughs> so we hope you can join us next week, everyone. We'll see you then. Bye. See you next week. <laughs>